This is the verse we're hanging out in. It's this beautiful prayer from Philippians. And the apostle Paul writes this letter to a community of people in Philippi. And he says, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more. Say more and more. In knowledge and in depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. Say best. And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What captures me and um, the place we're hovering even in this prayer is this notion of more and more. That to be caught up in a moment is fantastic, but it is the long term. How do we participate in and practice in the work of Christ in our lives for our lives? So the way I've been talking about it is this, if you go to the first couple of slides, that my that the core of my identity is that I'm a child of God and that I don't want that to just be a thing I know on my noggin and hold on to in my head. I want to practice that, which means I live out my identity, my core identity as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about when he says more and more. My prayer, he says, is that you may, is that your love may abound more and more, which means there is more for you tomorrow once you get to tomorrow, Sam, somebody say amen. It doesn't stop here. You don't hit this peak. Like I had a conversion moment or I used to know Jesus. This is an invitation into a lifelong relationship. There is a more and more. So how do we do the more and more? We follow Jesus. What's it look like to follow Jesus, to be disciple? How did and how does Jesus live? Like I said a couple of days ago, one of my mentors says, you know, it, it, we complicate things. Let's break this down. How does, what's the shape of Jesus's life? He says, the life of Jesus is a little bit like this. Up, we talked about the practice of prayer that he said, Christ said very specifically more than once that he really only does what he does because he is a person of prayer, because he talks to the father, he hears from the father and then responds to that. That he's not, he's not responding to the waves and the wind. Someone say waves and wind. He's not responding to the waves and the wind. He's responding to the father. So the core of his life is that he's listening to God in prayer. And then we've been hanging, we're gonna finish with the, at some point, we're gonna talk later on today about out a little bit, but we're hanging out here on the in part of it. Because one of the most essential elements of learning a differentiation between the good and the best, say the best, because this is the, such a powerful moment to discern what is best. There's a lot of good out there, but to discern what is best. One of the places that's most difficult to discern good from best is in our social lives. It's one thing to have friends. It's good to have friends. But when we talk about our social connections and the people we spend our life with, there is a best to pursue. And what's it look like to actually do that? In a Christian community, what is best in Christian community? So Last night at, un, at, the, at Underground, we talked about what it looks like to, to do friendship like Jesus. And what we talked about, and I'll give you a quick review, it went like this. If you go to the first slide here, or the next slide here, um, is that as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And what we talked about is one of the things we note in this, if you go to one more slide, we can skip that one, is that Jesus purposefully chose his friends in his community. 
that his relationships weren't circumstantial, he was intentional. What we talked about last night was that circumstances will put you in the room with good people. Here's the thing I'm learning and I know about this room is that the, the caring and loving and wise adults who have curated this culture and this place, they, first and foremost, they really do love you. They actually do. And because they've done that, they've set you up to actually be in the room with really good people. In the long run, if we're gonna be bound together with really good people, it takes intentionality. You can't just count on the circumstances to keep putting you in the room with good people because in the long run, the darker forces in the world will try to pull you away from good things. Someone say amen. If you schedule out your life to do things that were not good for you, nothing's going to get in the way. But the moment you make decisions to pursue Christ, to pursue health, to be a whole person, stuff's going to come up against you. So it takes intentionality. So go to the next slide. That Jesus shared his journey with his friends, his correlations went with him. That as Jesus lived his life, he invited his friends into what he was doing. That when he went and fed the thousands, he didn't just like take a loaf of bread and like drop kick it out into the sky and bread fill into people's laps. Could he do that? Probably. But instead what he did is he snapped off pieces of bread and fish and he handed it to the disciples so that they shared in his life. That in order to actually pursue deep relationships long-term, it takes intentionality, going to people and saying, hey, you're my friend, let's make time together. And then when you have adventures or when you have misadventures, when things are great, invite people in. And when things are not great, invite people in. It takes invitation and it takes intentionality. So this is where we're gonna go this morning. Circumstances will put you in the room with good people. Invitation and intention will bind you together with those people, but that's not where great community actually is made or broken. This is where it goes, is in the long run, in the next slide here, forgiveness will keep you, forgiveness will keep you from falling apart. Someone say forgiveness. Watch me say this real quick. This is the distinguishing factor of a truly Christian community is our willingness and our capability to forgive. And if we are not a forgiving people, two things end up happening. One, we just don't look like Jesus, period. You can be generous, fantastic. You can be kind, fantastic. You can be effective. You can be all kinds of things. But if as a community and as a people, we are not a forgiving people, we do not look like Jesus, full stop. There's nothing more essential to a life of deep friendship and a true community than the willingness, I'm gonna say willingness, and you're gonna say to say willingness, the willingness and the capacity to forgive. So that's why we're gonna talk about Judas this morning. I had a great conversation um, last night with a, with a buddy who's this new friend. He's like, why is why is like Jesus is so intentional about his friendships. What, why, like why invite Judas in? So let's look at the story of Judas. Here's the text. Now the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover was near the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan in, entered into Judas. Y'all, like when I think of the name, when I think of Judas, here's what I think of. Like he's the bad guy. Judas is the bad guy. Judas is in fact the kind of bad guy that we compare other bad guys to. When people do bad things, we compare them to Judas. That's how I recognize Judas. And this is how awful in my mind, this is how, this is how terrible a person Judas is, that he's just open to Satan coming into his mind. Like he's just open to it. 
Come on, man. He's been with Jesus for three years like Satan just shows up. Then Satan entered, entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police and how he might betray him to them. He doesn't just in a moment decide like, oh, I'm going to do something. No, he plans it. Think about that level of betrayal, y'all. He didn't just in a moment get angry with Jesus and say something mean. He planned and strategized to betray him and he did it for money. This is awful. Let's go to the next phrase here. This is, this is the next one. Immediately while, nope, come back. Immediately while he was still speaking, this is what, like they're, they're now in the garden. Jesus is like knowing that people are coming to take him away. He's praying in the garden. He's weeping. He's like, he's, he's distraught. He's asked the disciples. This is such a powerful moment. He's asked the disciples to come spend the night with him because he is terrified and scared and angry and praying to God and he's weeping and they're sitting with him. Meanwhile, here's Judas. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up and accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes. These are the people that, that Judas has been conspiring with to betray Jesus. He brings them into the garden where only the disciples were supposed to know Jesus was. Now he who was betraying him, who had given them a signal, watch this. Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away under guard. No one hurts you quite like the people who are closest to you. Someone say amen. There is a level of betrayal and a level of injury that just it's that is unaccessible to folks who live on the other side of your phone. But to the folks who are actually part of your life, who can get close enough to kiss you on the cheek, those folks can hurt you real bad. And that's what Judas does to Jesus. Judas, one of, Judas, one of these few people who knows where Jesus goes when things get tough. He goes and conspires, shows up, and as an act of betrayal, he kisses him on the cheek. When I think about Judas, like, you are the worst. You're a terrible human. So here's the trick. Here's a trick. This is why we read the scriptures over and over and over again. Someone say amen. Because in different seasons, we end up seeing things, and the Spirit reveals, us, reveals to us things that we need to see in a different season. You won't see the same stuff in your 20s as you do now when you read the text because the Spirit's going to speak to you differently then. Someone say amen. So keep reading. And here's something I didn't see for years and years and years is that when the disciples wrote about Judas, they talk about his betrayal for sure. But in both these texts, this phrase comes up, Judas, one of the 12. That phrase shows up like seven times between the Gospels and the book of Acts. So let go to the next frame. Let's look at the way the scripture sees. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the 12. Go to the next phrase, the, the next, the, from, from Mark. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied. These are two different writers writing to two different audiences at two different times. And both of them use the phrase. So does the writer of Acts. So does Luke. And what that says to me is when these cats talked about Judas over time, I think this is what happened. Yes, he was the betrayer. Yes, he sold us out. And he was one of us. And we still claim him as a brother. He was one of us. I hate what he did. We hate what he did. And we were all hurt by it. And he was one of us. Y'all with me? One of the folks telling that story would have been Peter. 
Peter also betrayed Jesus. Say Peter betrayed Jesus. We don't think about Peter this way. We think about Peter as like, he's the guy that eventually becomes Pope. Peter's like the hero guy. Like he's a bumbling moron sometimes. And like, oh, how cute. Peter betrays Jesus just like Judas does. Let's watch Peter's story because their stories are actually really parallel. So if you go to Peter's story, here's how it goes. This is John 18. Again, he asked them, <laughs> who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. This is again, this is in the garden where Judas has betrayed Jesus. And they said, uh, and, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus answered, I told you I am he. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the, fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, bro, why? He's just carrying a sword around, drew it, struck the high priest slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. I'm going to get into this for a second. Straight to Malchus, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Let's pause here for a second. Jesus walk around like healing lepers. And, and here's Peter like, just in case one of these lepers gets out of hand, I've got this sword here. Like, why do you have, what are you doing with the sword? And he doesn't just like take it out and like poke the dude. He tries to kill him with a sword and misses. I like that part. Misses and just cuts his ear off. The next part of his text, like Jesus actually puts the ear, he puts this dude's ear back on. Can you imagine that conversation? I'm sorry. He's a little bit zealous. It's a good Bible joke. <clears throat> but the, the other part of this is that this is written by John. John and Peter have a very interesting relationship. We'll just point as we go along. But like John picks up that the slave's name is Malchus. Which is to say, like, as John is explain is like in this scene, like Peter's just tried to kill the guy. <laughs> John's like, okay, what's your name? Not okay. I'm gonna tell the world this story. So it's Mal it had M A L C. Okay, great, thank you. Like he wants to make sure that we understand like the depth of Peter's bumblery. So that's John 18. To go to the next frame here, Luke 22. And when they had kindled the fire, so this is this is post crucifixion. So. What they know is that like Jesus has been killed and that he's, he's dead. This is what they know. And they've gone fishing. This is after the, this is, we don't, we know that he's resurrected. They don't. And when they killed the fire in the middle of the courtyard, oh no, this is, this is the night of the betrayal. We're going to get to the resurrection in a second. When they killed the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. There's a bunch of people like waiting outside where Jesus is under trial. Then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him say, said, this man was also with him, but he denied it. This is Peter saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said second time, man, I am not bitterly. So he's not just denying Jesus. He's doing it with a little, little feist in him, right? So the next phrase is, and after an, an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord that he'd said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept. Christ arrested. And here's Peter while people are saying, aren't you one of his friends? Says, I don't even know the guy. Oh, is that your mom? No, 
Who's calling? Cool. That's great. If it's your mom, you should answer that. Okay. He denies him three times. Go to the next slide here. So Christ is crucified. And in John 21, this moment happens for Peter that Judas doesn't get. And it goes like this. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat that night, but they caught nothing. Y'all check this out. Jesus has spent three years with these men, calling them into a different way of life. He called them away from what? Fishing. So Peter, as Christ is crucified, not only denies him to the people around him, but then Peter, in the worst form of betrayal and leadership, goes to the people that Christ had been leading, and he says, I'm going back to my old way of life. Come with me. He's leading people away from the way of Jesus because he is distraught and disappointed. So this is what happens. Next screen. Jesus meets Peter where he met him in the beginning. Next screen. Just, bless you. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I love that. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? (laughs) He's, He's like, how's the fishing going? They're like, not well. I know. They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way, that's John. And I like that John writes about himself. He says, I, he's like, yeah, Peter was the cool guy, but I'm the one he loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. John wants you to know that he was the first guy to recognize Jesus and that Peter only saw it because he told him. John wants you to know that. And then John wants you to know this. <laughs> Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on some clothes for he was naked. John, I did not need to know that about Pete. And jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far away from the land, only about 100 yards off. I love this description. He's like, okay, first guys, listen, Peter was nude. And then before he jumped in the water, he put clothes on. Do I need these details? No, but John really wants me to know that Peter gets a little excited about stuff. And then he swims his way in. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. It's my favorite verse in all the Bible. I'm a huge fan of that meal. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Next screen. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, first time, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Jesus said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. How many times did Peter deny 
Christ. How many times did Jesus ask Peter if he loved him? If it had been 27 times that Peter had denied Christ, then Christ would have given him 27 opportunities to say, I still love you. There is not a depth or a frequency at which you can sin and drop the ball and miss it that Christ won't come get you. Nowhere. There isn't a depth of depravity that you can enter into in your life that Christ won't. If you go all the way back to the beginning, just like Peter, he will come find you there. Every single time forever. Next. Because the foundation of our lives is forgiveness and grace. It'll never be about your performance. It'll never be about you being able to pin it down and get it right. It will always be that you are forgiven and that there is grace for you. Is that your mom? Okay. This therefore needs to be the foundation of Christian community. If there is not forgiveness or grace, then there is no church after Peter denies Christ. Do y'all see what I'm saying? There is no church. Was there forgiveness and grace available for Judas? I think there probably was. If you go to the next screen here, it's not the betrayal of Judas that puts Jesus on the cross. It's sin. Someone say amen. It was Judas's sin. It was Peter's sin. It was mine and it was yours. The next screen. The primary difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter stuck around long enough to find out that his failures are not the end and that he isn't defined by them. Next screen. What failure of yours have you allowed to define you? Here's what the darker forces in the world want you to know or think that if you've blown it, that's the, that's, we say that we stop, we, we do something. If, if you've blown it or the stuff is not good for you, that's what's most real about you. We even say things like this. Hey y'all, let's get real. And when we say, well, let's get real, we're going to talk about harder, darker stuff. We, we know these conversations, but this is what the gospel says that what is most real about you is that you are beloved son and daughter of the living God. That's what's most real about you. And the things that are not great about you are peripheral. Your sin is not the most foundational element of your identity. And we as a community get to remind each other of that in the practice of forgiveness. Someone say amen. Next screen. What failure of someone else's have you allowed to define them? We do this with celebrities all the time. And then we do it interpersonally. We remember the bad stuff someone does and that's who they are forever. And a Christian community does not live this way. Next phrase, next frame. So little story. Actually, can I give you a choice? I'm going to give you a choice. I have two stories I could tell. This is one, and I'm just going to put it out there and see what the spirit does. A, door A or door B? Did someone say E? That's not an option. Bless you. Okay. So my son, um, his name is, this is, this is the door A, thank you. Um, <laughs> all the door B people are like, I'm turning myself off. I'm not listening anymore. My son um, was told at a young age not to play ball in the house. Now you know how the story goes. He played ball in the house. We had just come back from a trip and, I, and um, we purchased this beautiful glass cross um, that we put up on the wall. Um, it wasn't like crazy expensive, but like for me, it was expensive. And put on the wall, it's a beautiful piece. It looks like a, a Gaudi piece. Gaudi's an artist I really like. 
And we, when I picked it up, we were actually in, we were in Spain. So it was like, it's a thing that's brought back from the memory of being in Spain with family and friends and doing some work there. It's like this, you know, and Asa, my son is throwing the ball against the wall. And I was like, Hey buddy, you need to not throw the ball against the wall because something bad will happen. He's like, okay, dad. So I leave and I go down into my little office space downstairs and then I hear dunk, 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 dunk. And he's throwing the ball the, and then I hear it. And I come up, <laughs> I come upstairs and he has, if you've been, if you, you know this look, I come upstairs and he's like this, like frozen. And I feel um, what's the word I'm looking for? Rage. Um, just invade my body. Like, I'm like, I'm so, I told you not to. And this is like the worst of all possible scenarios. And I, I don't even say anything because I, like, I, I, I want to be a good dad. And I like, I'm like, I'm just, it's just anger in my brain. And I'm, I'm like, oh. So I leave the room. And I come back and I'm going to have a conversation with him. And he's left where he was standing and, and, and he like, and he's over in the corner is like sat down in this little like art area that, that his mom made for him. It's just like where he can like draw. And he's like five at the time of the story. So I think he's just kind of moved on. Like, he's just like, well, I'm in trouble, whatever. And then kind of, uh, so I'm like, Oh, I start picking up the pieces of the glass and like cutting my hands and putting them in a paper bag. And then I look over my shoulder and uh, he's still at the art thing. And I'm like, kid, you should help me. So I get up and I go to walk over there to like have him come help me clean this mess up. And as I get to the art desk, I look over my shoulder and he's got this piece of paper. It's a green piece of paper, which was the color of the cross. And he's, he's outlined the shape of a cross on it. And he's decorating it. And then I watch him like cut it out with some scissors and then grab a hole punch and put it hole on the top and then he takes this paper cross and he grabs his little chair and he like drags it over to where on the wall the cross was and he stands up on the chair and he and he hangs this little paper cross on the wall and then he put a little note underneath it and I said I'm so sorry and I was like ugh so it wasn't very good. It was not a great art. It was, it was awkward. There was just some of the coloring was off and the shading. I don't know where he got that. It was terrible. The cut was not great. It was also a piece of paper <laughs> as opposed to like a beautiful piece of art. Friends, um, we do not get back the things we lose when someone hurts us. Someone say amen. You don't get it back. Things don't go back to normal on the other side of getting hurt, especially if it's someone who's close to you. Here's the opportunity we have, though. Do I get to receive what they can bring to the table on the other side? That's forgiveness. It's not, you broke this, you owe me something of kind. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, watch me now, you are worth, as a person, more than what it costs me to be in a relationship with you. Forgiveness is announcing in action that you are worth more than what it costs 
to be in a relationship with you. Here is why forgiveness is the foundation of Christian community. This is where we're going to land it. Because, and here's a hard teaching, and I'm sorry to land on this. I'm actually not, but I'm supposed to say that before you say something hard. Everyone you care about, everyone you love will hurt you at some point, everybody. If you let someone in to be part of your life, adults, y'all with me? You live long enough, and the people who are closest to you, they'll step on your toes. They'll do things that hurt. Absolutely everyone. There is no relationship without injury, ever. And the hope for a Christian community is not that somehow we get past being fools. The hope for a Christian community is that we come into relationship with one another and know that we are foolish towards one another and plan to forgive one another as an aspect of actual relationship, not as something we have to do. I'm going to have to forgive you. We go in knowing that I can bring forgiveness to a community so that you are not defined by the things that the world tells you are worst about you. Are you with me? Forgiveness is the foundation of Christian community. So we can be intentional and we can be invitational and we can be generous and we can be all kinds of magical, wonderful things. But if we are not a forgiving people, we will fall apart. We won't look like Jesus. If we are a forgiving people, everyone will want to have a piece of what we've got. Y'all with me? Say amen. Thank you.